Mark Miller will be sharing with us today. So um, I was able to, on short notice, ask him to speak this week. Um, had a few unique things come up in my life, and he said that he was willing to do it. So thank you, Mark, for that. And um, you want me to scoot this one over? Are you going to use them both? Okay. Okay. Well, let's pray for Mark and, uh, and ourselves. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you give us ears to hear today, eyes to see, hearts with fertile soil, Father, minds that can comprehend, feet that want to run with obedience. No craftiness, no persuasion, Father, to simply your word bringing life to us. In Jesus' name, amen. or Bob Ravenstein, I kind of feel that's how my life would be if he were superimposed over my back shoulders here this morning. Um, but I'd appreciate if you wouldn't put that there behind me this morning. Uh, this setup here is wonderful, and I am particularly like it because if my sermon stinks, you can at least go home and say, well, the set was really sweet up there. <laughs> and, you know, what I have to say won't matter. So this morning, uh, as Joey said, he was, I think, a little bit under the weather and so called on me a little bit earlier this week. And I'm thinking, oh, the Sunday before Christmas, great. Angels and warm, cozy mangers and hot chocolate, and I can take on this grandfatherly figure and just, we can have a real warm, fuzzy Sunday morning. Oh, that's Friday night for the new, I mean, for the Christmas Eve service. Oh no, we go in Matthew 5, we're sticking to the Beatitudes, and I get to talk about anything other than warm and fuzzy, like turning the other cheek and eye for an eye and all that stuff. So here we go. Matthew chapter 5, I have to admit, I'm just old enough that I missed all the people opening up their Bibles and thumbing through, and you can hear the, the rattling of the pages, but... That's all right. We're in a different age and era, but uh, in Matthew chapter 5, we're going to go straight there through verses 38 through 42. And this is now the fifth of six sayings in Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is, has been saying, you have heard, but what I'm going to tell you now, what I am saying... And in each of these situations, we're finding out that Jesus is confronting the religious people of that time who were using the Old Testament or the Torah to justify some approaches or, or ways of living life that were perverting the Torah. And that's what these six sayings of, you have heard, but now I tell you, is about. Uh, you know, if you recall, related to, in relationship to divorce. They were using the Torah to justify, men were, uh, justify divorcing their wife over burnt toast. 
And they were, they were being biblical about it, and Jesus confronts that. Um, in relationship to sexuality and the boundaries of sexuality, you know, well, I haven't committed adultery. I'm pretty good. But, you know, at the same time, that same man is being piggish and boorish and full of lust in his heart. And Jesus, once again, and, and all under the law, like, I can do this. It's okay. God doesn't care. And Jesus, again, confronting that uh, perversion of that um, Torah teaching. And so on and so forth. And now today we come up to this place where Jesus is taking the individual to a higher calling. He's appealing to the hearts of the people when it comes to the concept of justice. What do you do and what is the proper way to bring justice into our lives when we have people all around us who don't treat us right? who talk down to us. Maybe they, um, you know, they somehow cause us to be embarrassed. Uh, they're just, sometimes people are mean. Sometimes people are just full of themselves and they approach us and they approach us in an ungodly manner. And so people were dealing with their interpersonal relationships using the Torah to come up with some responses that Jesus is saying, no, I'm, I'm here to correct that, people. So that's what this passage is about this morning. What happens? How are we to respond when someone treats us in a wrong manner? Because face it, it happens all the time. People don't treat us with respect. They're demanding and angry at times. So how do we, res do we respond? That moves us right into Matthew 5, verse 38. And you have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile... Go with him two miles. Give to, him, give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, just sit down. Don't walk out yet, okay? Because at first glance, boy, I tell you what, this is anything but warm and fuzzy, isn't it? If anything, it kind of riles you up a little bit, like, what is going on here? Well, I'm glad you asked. So, um, three times, we're going to start out this particular pa passage by picking out various things. The first is an eye for an eye. What is that about? Why is Jesus bringing that up in this situation? So, an eye for an eye uh, was used three times in the Old Testament in the Torah, God uses this phrase to give instruction to the Hebrew people to help them address how to adequately manage situations in which people were physically harmed and were suffering from needless pain caused by others. In other words, they were unlawfully inflicted pain upon. They, they lost the body part, you know, and so Jesus was 
bringing, going back to that particular passage. So I would like, if you would, in your iPhones or if you got your Bible, turn back with me to Exodus 21. And I'm sorry, I may have said Genesis 21, but it's Exodus 21. Sorry, sound booth. Uh, But I'm going to be reading from Exodus 21, verses 22 through 27. So I apologize to the sound booth if I told them Genesis 21. So in Exodus 21, this is where... This is in the context of the, when the Lord is giving the people of Israel the Ten Commandments. And along with that, there were other commands that were uh, spoken forth. The other time Moses is, in Deuteronomy, Moses is reiterating the situation of, of this particular eye for an eye and then in the book of Leviticus. So Exodus 21. If men are f- who are fighting hit a pregnant woman, now th- that's a little humorous right there, right? Like, hey, pregnant lady, these two men are fighting. Would you mind standing back a little bit, mama? I, I don't know, maybe she was one of the wives, maybe it was on the Jerry Springer show. I'm not sure what the situation was back then, but these men were physically fighting, okay? They were hitting and they accident or they hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely. But listen, there's no serious injury. The offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there's serious injury, okay, if there's serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. If a man hits a manservant or a maidservant in the eye and destroys it, he must let the servant go free to compensate for the eye. And if he knocks out the tooth of a manservant or maidservant, he must let the servant go free to compensate for the tooth. Now what is fascinating to me in this is that um, first of all, we're talking about, in verse 22, that we have a court situation. Okay, the state is involved, so to speak. It's in a legal situation. None of these things are being brought about. This eye for eye is in the context of a legal court situation that they had set up at that time. And then number two, it was only used for serious bodily injury. And that's very important to understand those two dynamics when we look at when this original phrase, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth came about. The reason it's important is because this stands in contrast to what Jesus was addressing the crowd about that particular day. And that's why Jesus brings it up. Because the Jews were perverting the command of an eye for an eye, and they were misapplying it by using it in their day-to-day interpersonal conflicts that were not about bodily harm, okay? They were using the eye for eye in the Torah to justify their response to others 
when they were being, you know, when people were being petty with them or when people were insulting them, they were referring back to the eye for eye. So Jesus then is calling them out. Well, why, what was going on? Well, that person just insulted me, so guess what? I'm going to insult back because the Torah says eye for an eye. So I'm justified in what I do. So it's in this context that Jesus brings this up. Now what's fascinating to me is in this Exodus, in this Exodus passage, the eye for an eye we find out is just simply an expression for justice, right? Because what did we just read? If a man hits a manservant, okay, back then, if you were poor and you needed money for your family, or you needed food for your family, you know, I would go over to Joey's house and say, Joey, I need some money. I need something to, you know, I need to feed my family. And Joey would ad- advance me $10 for, to buy bread for a week for my family. And then I, in essence, would become a slave to Joey for however long we agreed upon. So I would be his servant for like two days so that my family could eat for the next week. So that's the context that this is written in. And it says, if, so if Joey hit me and knocked out my tooth or my eye, what does it say here in verse 26? Then I get to say, hey, Joey, line up, man, because I'm going to take out your eye. No, even though the Lord just said an eye for an eye, he said, hey, you know what? Joey, he just knocked out your eye. You don't owe him any more money. You're free to go. So that's kind of the situation. In many cases, people were servants or enslaved to someone for years and years. That was their lifestyle because they could never get out of that hole or out of that rut. And so Jesus is simply saying that an eye for an eye is not about being taken literal. It's simply an expression from God that conveys the principle of appropriate restitution and consequence for physically harming someone in a significant manner. In other words, we all know the expression, right? The punishment needs to fit the crime. That's what an eye for an eye means. It's not to be taken literally. Even God makes this clear in the Torah. Now, we know why God had to come up with this, right? I'm just saying, you know, because if you think of like, if someone insults you, if someone came up to you and just spit on your face, right? Right? I mean, come on. What are we doing? Oh, yeah, we're, we're going to get a real good hacker, you know, and we're going to hack back, you know, maybe twice. Because human nature is what? If someone insults me, if someone hurts me, if someone puts me down and they offend me and they hurt my feelings, what a, what's our natural reaction? Well, I'll show you. And, you know, people do this in the public arena and social, in Facebook and all of that stuff. That's crazy, and that's why God is saying no. You know, to, to bring about justice is not about getting back twice as bad, giving back twice as bad as what you just got. 
So that is the context of this whole situation. Now I'd like for us to flip back to Matthew 5 and continue on. So if, if we could on the overhead get those verses back up here. In Matthew 5, verse 39, then Jesus makes this next interesting comment. He says, do not resist an evil person. It's like, okay, what is that? A resist is to oppose. It means to strive against. It means to withstand. Do not resist an evil person. But then, guess what? Jesus goes immediately into three four particular ways in which it means for us not to oppose an evil person. And the first one is, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other. Now, again, just sit down, all right, because it's like, what's the justice of that? But again, there's a kind of a cultural context that we have to understand if this is going to make sense to us. When we're talking about a slap, number one, we're not talking about a serious bodily injury. Now, it hurts, it stings, yes, but that's not the context of this. A slap, slaps in biblical times were about personally insulting someone. Uh, we see this even in Scripture. Uh, Job refers to this when he says, they have opened their mouths against me and strike my cheeks with contempt. Okay, you get that? They've opened their mouths against me and they strike my cheeks with contempt. It's people coming at you, saying bad things about you, trying to humiliate you and talk down about you. And then in Lamentations, it also uses the concept of slapping of the cheek as being symbolic of being disgraced. So if someone slapped you in the public arena, it would have been about, I'm here to disgrace you. I'm here to put you down. Because masters would do that with their servants. If their servants maybe they thought were getting a little bit out of hand in the public arena, well, I'll show you. And they would do this backhanded Okay, the right cheek. If I'm right-handed and the person's standing across from me, I'm going to hit them in the right cheek, right? If I do this, that's their left cheek. If I do that backhanded slap, again, that cultural context of a backhanded slap, I'm going to put you in your place. You're no better than a dog. Men would do that to their wives in the public at, in that culture. So this is the context Jesus is talking about, this conflict, this domineering, someone who's trying to dominate you in, in that particular time. Again, is modern-day equivalent if someone were to spit on you. So Jesus is simply saying, you know, I mean, naturally we're saying, you know, you slap me, I'm going to slap you. Uh, you spit on me, I'm going to spit you. And Jesus is correcting them and saying, you know what, in these cases, eye for an eye does not apply here. 
It just doesn't because, number one, we're not even talking about a civil court. We're not talking about being in front of a judge. It has nothing to do with that. And a slap, while it is aggressive, is not about knocking out teeth. It's not like a physical punch, which many times, you know, we've seen this, you know, someone slaps you or someone hits you, and we think immediately of like a fist fight. And that's not at all what this is uh, addressing and talking about here. So Jesus is talking about these situations in where he's saying, if someone's going to be mean to you that way, let it go. Just let it go. You don't have to get back. You don't have to physically slap them back. You don't have to take them to court. You don't have to um, get into this big personal insult fight with them. No. No. Let it go. And this is where Jesus is now beginning to articulate a position in the New Testament of approaching these particular issues of life in a nonviolent and in a loving and a caring way. Because when we don't trade insult for insult, when we don't slam other people down when they've slammed us down, we're doing it for the sake of Christ. And that's what Jesus is, is getting at. So the second example that Jesus gives is if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Again, we're talking about Levitical law. Again, kind of hard for us to wrap our heads around this because we don't understand that we would use our clothes as some sort of legal collateral in exchange for something. But that's what the culture was in ancient biblical days and even at the time of Christ. If I had a really nice coat, but I needed some bread for my family, I would go up to Joey and I'd say, Joey, I need 10 cents for today's daily bread. And Joey's like, well, how do I know you're good for that 10 cents tomorrow? And I'd say, well, okay, here's my coat, Joey. You can have my coat. Because they were viewed as a good commodity because coats were something that people slept on. It kept them warm in those chilly um, Israeli nights in those, in those days. Coats were kind of used as, were seen as a little bit of like this covering. Um, they could serve as a tent for someone. So they had this value that, of course, you know, coats keep us warm and, and they're good and we all need coats when it's cold. But they, they, had a, they had a value to them that we don't assign to them today. And so in this particular situation, Jesus, apparently the Jews were taking that particular teaching, again, perverting it, and then they were starting to go, well, Joey's, maybe I didn't get my 10 cents back to Joey the next day, and Joey come along and say, well, you know, I'm going to take you to court. I mean, that's what this scripture says. If someone wants to sue you, well, I'm going to take you to court over this now. You're going, I'm going to go to the judge, I'm going to sue you over this situation. I want my 10 cents back. And Jesus is saying, uh-uh, no, 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 no. You guys are taking these smaller things of life and you're making it into something way bigger and you're justifying yourself using the Torah. Stop it. Be generous. If someone, if that's where they're at, that's where their heart is, that's where their inclination is, let it go. In fact, 
give them 20 cents. You know, when you go back, go work extra hard the next day, get your 20 cents and go give it to Joey. Don't give him just a dime back. Give him the 20 cents back. Go bless him. Live generously. These are things that we don't want to get caught up on. And yet here you are. You, I see you, sir, you're suing him over, you know, a small portion. Stop it. And then finally, the third example, and just for the record, by the way, the fourth example in, in verse 42, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow. I've kind of tied that into the whole coat and cloak situation because uh, that's the same principle. Living generously, uh, not being stingy, uh, not being petty, but living in a generous, with a being generous when someone wants to turn against you. And then finally, this third example that Jesus gives. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go a second mile with him. Now, I think that this is probably a little bit more familiar. Anybody who's been in the church for a while probably has, knows that in the biblical times, that with under Roman occupation in the land of Pal in Palestine, that Roman soldiers who had served at the outpost there, their local um, officials, they could come up to you and, you know, a soldier had all this gear they had to carry, all this armor they had to carry, and it got heavy. And if it was a hot day, they got tired. They had a legal right to come up to you and say, hey, I want you to come over here, help me carry this stuff for the next mile. They could do that legally. Oh, man. I don't like inconvenience, do you? Right? I like to be able to go and do what I need to do. And I don't even want, I don't even want a train to get in my way. Right? I don't want someone to call me up and say, could you do this? Sorry, Joey. But could you do this? <sighs> That's an inconvenience. I've got places to go, bills to pay, planes to catch, and now I've got to do this? Are you kidding me? Because walking, this, I can't even know if I can carry this stuff. And, you know, walking a mile is like, a Roman mile was like 5,000 feet. Something. A Roman mile was a little bit different than our mile. But it was long enough, it was going to take you, you know, that however long. And you didn't have time for it. And so if that Roman soldier is asking me to do that, and I've got something going on, and I've got a client that I got to meet, or someone that I got to catch up with, or, you know, we were going to go out to eat. But no. So generally what happened when the Roman soldier, ah, and you, you start building up that resentment. And as you're carrying this, it's like, what could I do to get back to this guy? 
you know, I wonder when it gets dark if I could maybe just find out where he's at and, you know, I could uh, like light firecrackers underneath him or something, you know. And we start, we start thinking about ways to get back and our mind starts running like, how am I going to get back? You know, that's where we start getting in trouble. The Jewish people were doing this, and they were using the Roman law to say, well, he's mistreating me, so I'm going to mistreat him back. <laughs> Compare that, though, with, oh, man. Okay, could God use this situation? Um, so you go over and you start carrying it. So where are you from? You're from... Are you from Rome itself, or are you from another? Ah, just shut up and carry my stuff. Okay, yeah. Whew, kind of warm out here. Yeah. So, hey, did you hear about, you know, the Celtics losing to the Cavaliers last week? Yeah. Just shut up and carry, you know, I ain't got time for you, dog. And so we get to the end of that first mile, and you keep on walking. Right? <laughs> and if you were to look over at the Roman soldier, he's like, stupid fool. That mile marker was back. I didn't, probably didn't have mile markers back then, right? So he didn't know where to stop, so I'm just going to let him keep going. And then you keep going, and you go two-tenths of a mile, and three-tenths of a mile, and you're, uh, you know, your mile's over. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. You know that. What are you doing? What are you up to? Oh, no, this one's for my master. This smile's on me. This is for my master. Huh? I'm your master. No, I, I have another master. I serve in the... Who's this master you're talking about? Uh, well, you, you see the sun up in the sky? You know, that sun that came up in the east and was set on its course so that it didn't go a few degrees off here or there so we'd either burn up or freeze to death? The one who created that and put that into place and is now going to cause it to, to set in the west, that, that's, that's who my master is, the one who controls all of that. What are you talking about? And you know, that's where, then you've opened up the door, Right? That's, and that's what Jesus is asking of us in those situations where we're being inconvenienced and someone is demanding of us things that we really prefer not to do. Um, summarizing these three statements. So when Jesus states Resist not the evil person. He's not talking about major and harmful situations. He's not talking about letting someone cause major bodily harm against you and you not defending yourself. Um, in Levitical law, it clearly states that if someone is illegally trying to get onto your property, and to cause you harm, you have every right to appropriately defend yourself against harm. Jesus is not saying if someone chops off your finger because they can, that you say, oh, here's another finger. Go ahead, chop it off. 
Um, in Romans chapter 13, we, we see that God has set up a government and authority to combat against people who cause those types of physical harm against us. And so lawfully, we have the right to be able to take a stand against bodily injury and bodily harm. But what he is saying in dealing with our day-to-day relationships and interactions with people who might be immature and stupid and boorish and ask us of things and talk down to us and don't respect us, he's saying we are to turn the other cheek. It's a hard thing to not fight back in those situations. We want to and, and Jesus is saying a very hard thing. No, let it go. There are eternal implications, kingdom implications in our response. Now, is Jesus teaching these things just because he wants us to be some namby-pamby, goody-two-shoe Christians who just like sit around and go, oh, ain't I nice? And you can be mean to me, and I'm such a nice person. And, you know, in fact, could you come over? We can maybe hold hands and sing Kumbaya, and we can just be all nicey-nicey. No, not at all. That is not at all why Jesus is asking us to turn the other cheek. Not at all why he's saying, be generous for those who maybe kind of want to take advantage of you. He's not, that's not at all Or when it comes to going the second mile. He's doing it, he's teaching us that because it builds the character of Christ in us. When we turn the other cheek, we allow the Holy Spirit opportunity to speak through our lives and advance the kingdom of God. We become the, quote, bigger man or woman when we just let it go. We don't have to be right. We don't have to prove anything to anyone. And we speak softly. We offer up a cup of cold water rather than strike back. Another reason that we turn the other cheek is that it stops us from being victims to the very person who wants to put us down. Remember earlier when I was referring to, you know, that going to second mile and that first mile, you know, you could take that at like, well, I'm going to get back and, and, and I'm going I'm to figure out how I'm going to address this and and get back. Every time we go back and we review the insult or wrong against us, we emotionally re-victimize ourselves. We allow ourselves then to become victims to other people. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. It's in those situations, people, 
We can become jaded. We can become cynical. We can become bitter. We can kind of become standoffish. If we don't live in this generosity, in this forgiveness, in this, in this loving and turning the other cheek that Christ is asking us to do. So Jesus definitely is wanting us to not be victims to other people's wrongs against us. And then finally, uh, this last point in terms of why is Jesus asking this of us. Um, I'm just going to read from this guy, uh, S.M. Hutchins. I don't know him. Uh, you know, just one of the resources I came across. And, and again, when we're talking about literal, right, these principles of turning the other cheek, going the extra mile, being generous, forgiving and loving, offering up a cool, those are principles that are literal for us to take today. He, he writes this, the most common mistake made by earnest believers in interpreting the Sermon on the Mount is the failure to take our Lord's own life and ministry as the authoritative commentary on what it means and how it is to be put into practice. I chuckle when I think of all the preachers I have heard trying to help us squirm out from under what we find here. It is ironic while they are trying to relieve us of the burden of taking these admonitions literally, the only thing that keeps us from being put into hell this very minute is that God himself takes exactly, takes them exactly as they read. Things become clearer if we can manage to stop thinking of, of the commands to turn the other cheek and so forth in fear of someone taking advantage or some pathologically dependent person that they would take of us if we did. And instead, we place ourselves where we belong in the scenario. We, you see, are the enemies from whom he could extract eyes and teeth and everything else, and yet he doesn't. You see this vision that Christ has for us in the New Testament era? We've insulted him. We have spit on his face, and yet he forgave us. We hated him, and he didn't hold it against us. He's gone the second mile with us when we don't deserve him to go that second mile. He's been so generous to us we forgive someone for 10 cents and he's forgiven us for a million dollars and yet we want to hold that 10 cents against someone else. That's why Jesus has this teaching in these verses here today. He's telling us to do likewise, to follow in his ways, live generously, trust him for justice. We're not going to find true justice in this world in all areas. We might get justice at times. But a lot of times, we're not going to get the justice we're looking for. We just aren't. 
and he knows that. And so the question is, are we going to trust God to believe that if we leave vengeance on the table and walk away from it, that he someday will cause justice to be brought into our lives when it hasn't been done here in this life, in this earth? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this teaching. Thank you for the reminder of what you have done. This is the Christmas season, Lord, and these passages are about bringing peace into our day-to-day lives with all the stuff that goes on, all the injustices, all the things that should be different, but they're not. All the people that should treat us differently, but they don't. And so, Lord, we acknowledge we've been hurt, we've been angry, we've wanted to take justice and vengeance into our own hands, and we've wanted to justify it, just like the people who were listening to Christ on that mountain that day. So, Lord, I just pray that we can find peace in our hearts and dispense that peace to those around us, in particular this season, but at all times. We thank you for your word. Your word, O Lord, is life. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Go in peace. Have a wonderful week.